This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Today's episode is brought to you by Empower. It doesn't matter how much money you have, we all have money questions. Empower is here to answer those questions so you don't have to worry. Take control of your financial future with a real-time dashboard and real live conversations to empower what's next. Start today at empower.com. Hey, Lulu here. Whether we are romping through science, music, politics, technology, or feelings, we seek to leave you seeing the world anew. Radiolab adventures right on the edge of what we think we know, wherever you get podcasts. This is the New Yorker Radio Hour, a co-production of WNYC Studios and The New Yorker. Welcome to the New Yorker Radio Hour. I'm David Remnick. Seven years ago, Ty Cobb was a partner in a big international law firm, prominent, well-connected. Then he got a phone call. Would he give up his job to go work for the White House for a while? The client was Donald Trump, and the issue was Russian interference in the 2016 election. Trump and many others were being investigated in a probe headed by Robert Mueller, the former FBI director. In the end, some of Trump's circle were indicted. Some even went to jail. But Trump himself avoided indictment and dismissed the entire thing as a witch hunt. But Ty Cobb went on to call Robert Mueller an American hero and Trump a threat to democracy. And one of the presidents of a big country stood up and said, well, sir, uh, if we don't pay and we're attacked by Russia, will you protect us? I said, you didn't pay? You're delinquent? He said, yes, let's say that happened. No, I would not protect you. In fact, I would encourage them to do whatever the hell they want. You got to pay. You got to pay your bills. Now, once again, Donald Trump's attitude toward Vladimir Putin is in the headlines after his recent remarks about NATO and in the wake of Alexei Navalny's death in a Russian prison. Trump is also facing more than 90 criminal charges. I spoke about all of that last week with Ty Cobb. Right off the bat, because of your involvement in the Russia investigation, I have to ask you about your reaction to the death of Alexei Navalny and maybe even more to the point because of your own experience, Donald Trump's reaction to the death of Alexei Navalny. You know, you don't have, sadly, in our day, people throughout history who, you know, put purpose over and principle over safety. Uh, Navalny sort of stands alone in this century, I think, um, so far, uh, as the person who, you know, best and certainly most immediately uh, projects that. Uh, I, th- I think, uh, you know, he's as much a hero as anybody I can look back in history on um, and call a hero. Joe Biden acknowledged Navalny's heroism, both when he, he was alive and, and even more forcefully after he, he died, and is promising more sanctions and was pretty unambiguous about it. Donald Trump's reaction 
was— Oh, no, I, I'm not with you 100%. Yeah, Donald Trump was, did not condemn Putin at all. In fact, compared Joe Biden to Putin and himself to Alexei Navalny. He wrote this on Truth Social. The sudden death of Alexei Navalny has made me more and more aware of what is happening in our country. It is a slow, steady progression with crooked, radical left politicians, prosecutors, and judges leading us down a path to destruction. This Judge Arthur Engeron ruled against you for almost a half a billion dollars. Uh, it's a lot it of dough. It is a, lot a of form of Navalny. It is a form of uh, communism or fascism. How did you react to that? Whatever, whatever device people pick up to try to translate Trump, the focus needs to be analyzing everything he says through his narcissism. And he can't talk about anybody else favorably for two seconds without turning it, you know, to himself, comparing himself to, you know, Martin Luther King or uh, Navalny or, you know, he, he only uses uh, heroes, historical heroes to try to glorify himself. Shouldn't surprise anybody because that's what he does in every circumstance. Uh, I think what surprises me is uh, how different uh, he speaks now than he did in 2016. He was pretty unhinged in 2016, but he at least had people like Kushner and um, others, you know, whispering in his ear about you know what was important to people. Mm -hmm. uh, now he doesn't have you know even that level of a check. Yeah. I want to go back in time. You were a mm -hmm. very respected lawyer in Washington. You get this phone call that you're going to work with Donald Trump. What was your initial reaction? Did you have any qualms about it? And why did you go forward? Did you get a sense that Donald Trump had a respect for the process, for the rule of law? Or did you get the sense that you were in a purely political um, realm? So his sense was that he was in a purely political realm. You know, and this was a personal attack on him and it was set up by uh, the FBI and perhaps others. Um, but my own sense was this was purely legal, um, at least as, as it was, at least in Mueller's circumstances. There's been a kind of um, resurrection of discussion lately, in fact, in recent days, about Donald Trump and his attitude toward Putin, his attitude toward Putin's circle, and his comments about, or lack of comments about Navalny have revived the notion that somehow, and you see it in, with Nancy Pelosi, that somehow Russia and Putin has something on Donald Trump. How do you react to that? So, taking that predicate first, you know, I don't, there's no evidence of that, and I'm, I mean, I looked for it <laughs> for a year, um, and um, shame on me if I didn't find it. If it's if it's really there, uh, I don't think Putin has anything on Trump. Uh, but you know, he 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 sort of admires the the power that uh, Putin has accumulated, and he um, um, you know has much the same style. In fact, I think his takeover of the RNC was very mob like. Um, you know, he just took it over and, you know, uh, quite likely intends to loot it for his, uh, daughter for his, well, yeah, well, well, so putting her in, um, I think is, um, emblematic of the way he views it as, you know, a, a tool to serve himself. But I think, you know, what the big, the, the end game there is, 
uh, being able to try to um, uh, dictate who's going to be a candidate and uh, who's going to get the financial support and also using that financial support for his own liabilities. So I divorced the Russia investigation from anything that Trump has done with Putin. Um, uh, you, know, the, you know, there was just nothing in the investigation, um, as the report reflects, uh, frankly, uh, that ties Trump to Putin or Putin even to the you know, attempt to influence. Uh, and there's, there's now, uh, thankfully, public uh, significant information that undercuts, you know, um, Brennan and Clapper um, and uh, any suggestion that Putin preferred Trump to uh, Clinton. But in terms of uh, Trump's affection for Putin wait, 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 or wait, wait, Putin's... I, Again, I, as somebody who's been looking at Russia for an awfully long time and is following it, the, the, yes. the notion that Putin preferred Trump to Clinton is pretty incontrovertible. It comes right from Putin's mouth and from various celebrations in, in the highest echelons of Yedina Rasia, the United Russia Party, and, and, and all the rest. But let, let's debate that another time. What accounts for Donald Trump's seeming unwillingness at any point to show any a critical mind toward Vladimir Putin? In my own judgment, I think Trump's, you know, fascination with Putin is, you know, he has what Trump wants, which is total control and adulation and, you know, riding, riding the horse with his shirt off. Uh, now, we're never going to see Trump with his shirt off, but... Well, thank I, God I do, for small favors. Uh, <laughs> but I, I do think it's really, it's really a function of his narcissism and his admiration for, you know, people who, you know, have the stature within their, you know, sphere that he, he would like. I'm speaking with the attorney, Ty Cobb. More in a moment. WNYC Studios is supported by Lincoln Financial. The questions around retirement have gotten tiring. Instead of, have you saved up enough? Shouldn't they be asking, what is it that you love to do? And how can we help you keep doing it? The truth is, you are not slowing down. So your retirement plan should be more of an action plan, a hiking plan, a music plan, a sailing plan. The point is, whatever you're passionate about, we can help make sure you never stop. At Lincoln Financial, we have the products to help protect and grow your financial future so you can keep doing more of what you love. Make your pastimes last a lifetime at lincolnfinancial.com slash action plan. Lincoln Financial Group, marketing name for Lincoln National Corporation and its insurance companies and broker slash dealer affiliate Lincoln Financial Distributors, Inc. Copyright 2024, Lincoln National Corporation. This episode is brought to you by Empower. Can you retire early? Will there be enough money to leave an inheritance? Do you have savings for life's important milestones? If you have money questions, Empower has answers so you don't have to worry. With a real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you can get clarity on your real-life financial goals. Join 18 million Americans and take control of your financial future to empower what's next. Start today at Empower.com. I'm Roz Chast from The New Yorker. The New Yorker Radio Hour is supported by Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. Thanks to Dana-Farber's foundational work, protein degradation can target and destroy cancer-causing proteins right inside the cell. It's how Dana-Farber is working to treat previously untreatable cancers. Learn more at DanaFarber.org slash everywhere. Hi, it's David Remnick. 
If you're enjoying this podcast, you might enjoy even more of what The New Yorker has to offer. Becoming a subscriber gives you unlimited access to The New Yorker, including Pulitzer Prize-winning reporting, insightful cultural commentary, and fiction and poetry. You'll also enjoy our delightful cartoons, crossword puzzles, narrated stories, and much more. This past year, our readers were gripped by Ronan Farrow's profile of Elon Musk, Heidi Blake's extraordinary tale about Dubai's runaway princesses, and much more. Visit newyorker.com to gain access to all this and more. Use the code POD15, P-O-D-1-5, to secure a 15% discount on a yearly digital subscription. That's P-O-D-15 for a 15% discount. Why have you decided to become much blunter and about your assessment of Trump in, in recent in recent times? Because I think he um, certainly post January six uh, has been exposed as the you know greatest threat to democracy that we've ever seen. And I'm a citizen, and I grew up in a little town in Kansas. My dad was a naval fighter pilot. I was the oldest of eight kids, and uh, I've spent much of my life in public service and. I've never been one to shy away from um, saying what I mean. Right now, we're looking at a Donald Trump trying to get a second term, running ahead in most of the polls. Right. And at the same time, he's facing over 90 felony charges across four criminal cases. Right. A couple civil cases have already come to their conclusion, sexual assault and defamation, his case about his business in New York City. And that could all leave him about $400 million poorer how do you assess this lineup of cases arrayed against Donald Trump? Which are the strongest ones? Which are the weakest? And which are the cases that are the most consequential for the election? Um, the, only, the only two cases that I think uh, are consequential are the two federal cases. There's no defense in the classified documents case, particularly given the obstruction and the false affidavits um, uh, related to it. And the, the fact that he actually shared those documents uh, willy-nilly with, you know, visitors to Mar-a-Lago, including, you know, one of his closest advisors who's going to be a witness for the government. So I think, you know, he's dead, but uh, he's got the protection of the judge uh, who has uh, has basically slowed that case down to the point where there's no chance that it can get uh, to trial before the election. The only case that can get to the tri- get to trial before the election is the federal case in, in D.C. involving um, uh, Trump's uh, uh, failure to allow the peaceful transfer of power and his attempts to obstruct that. Uh, that hinges on uh, whether or not the Supreme Court takes certiorari on uh, on the um, immunity issue. In other words, the court can agree to hear Trump's immunity argument, or they can let the lower court's ruling on immunity stand and let the case go to trial. Right. And if they grant it, I think that dooms the dooms that case uh, from getting to trial before the election. If they deny it, then I think it could be tried in in July or late June. The problem with the, the New York case uh, is not that Alvin Bragg ran on trying to get Trump. Uh, that's a political problem. That's a perception problem. But there are legal legal defects to the way that case was charged. We're talking about the case involving Stormy Daniels and Hush Money. Right. Uh, the misdemeanor that is charged only becomes a felony if you can tie it to an actual felony. And the felony they attempt to tie it to is a violation of the federal election laws. Now, 
there's a serious constitutional issue as to whether a state uh, prosecutor can charge federal crimes. Um, and the almost universal consensus is they can't. Right. So I think at the end of this— So that's the, weak, um, that's the weakest of the bunch. Right. That's very weak, and it's going to occupy, you know, a month of, you know, Trump um, railing against uh, the system in New York and um, uh, and the judges and, and the prosecutors, uh, of which I think we're all tired uh, and familiar. And what happens if he does win the presidency? If he does win the presidency, he'll direct the Justice Department to um, uh, dismiss uh, both cases. And what uh, ensues and, from and, what what would ensue and, from that? And maybe that's a political sociological question rather sure. than a, a legal one. If if Trump is convicted here, he will be out on a uh, appeal bond. Uh, the appeal won't be heard before his uh, his inauguration. Should he win, and uh, immediately after inauguration, he'll have it dismissed, and it'll be as though the case has never existed. And just to to round things out, the Georgia case, which has sure. its own so, peculi- peculiarities to say the least. Boy, that's for sure. Um, you know, uh, everybody's got different interests that they can bring to the attention of the judge in advance of trial that I think will delay that uh, well beyond the election. Um, the Georgia case is not something, though, Trump can dismiss. But I think the general legal consensus, uh, which is only based on policy and not based on any any statute or precedent, is that it's likely Trump would be allowed to serve his full term or serve until impeached before that case could be brought. Right. And at which point he'd be, you know, 80, 83 or 4, and, you know, who knows what would happen. Ty Cobb, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. No, no I really enjoyed visiting with you. It was an honor to be with you. Good to see you. Take care. Ty Cobb was special counsel to Donald Trump during the Mueller investigation, and he's an attorney in Washington, D.C. This is the New Yorker Radio Hour, and I'm David Remnick. Thanks for joining us, and see you next time. The New Yorker Radio Hour is a co-production of WNYC Studios and The New Yorker. Our theme music was composed and performed by Meryl Garbus of Tune Yards, with additional music by Louis Mitchell. This episode was produced by Max Balton, Adam Howard, Kalalia, David Krasnow, Jeffrey Masters, and Louis Mitchell, with guidance from Emily Botine and assistance from Michael May, David Gable, and Alejandra Deckett. And we had additional help this week from Ramel Wood, The New Yorker Radio Hour is supported in part by the Charina Endowment Fund. This episode was brought to you by Empower. Are you ready for life's important milestones? What will your retirement look like? Do you know your net worth? Empower can help answer your money questions so you don't have to worry. With a real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you can get clarity on your real-life financial goals. Join 18 million Americans and take control of your financial future to empower what's next. Start today at Empower.com. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire.